You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're leading everything up to a celebration, which is what they just talked about, reading that the birth of Jesus, that he came as a baby, that he came as a baby, that he is the newborn king And at church the past few weeks, we've been talking through this nativity scene that you see behind me. We've been talking through the characters that you see, Mary and Joseph and the wise men, the shepherds. And we've been leading all the way up to this series today to where we're going to talk today about Jesus and who he is. And how did these people in the nativity, how did they respond to him? How did they respond to Jesus and what he has done? How can they usher him and welcome him into our world? For us as Christians, the goal of the Christmas season is very simple. It's to remember, understand, and truly internalize who Jesus is. But that can be difficult this time of year, can't it? We have so many things to do. We have gifts to wrap. We got cookies to bake. We got parties to prepare for. Life is busy and it's so easy for us to miss the reality of why we celebrate, which is Jesus and who he is. I was reading through a sermon by this guy named Ray Pritchard, and he quoted this man named Tom Flynn who wrote for this this journal in uh, Minnesota, and he wrote in a newspaper article, and he wrote this article with the goal in mind to abolish Christmas, okay? It wasn't a popular paper, okay? Like, the goal was to abolish Christmas. He was a secular humanist and an atheist, And his argument was based on this simple phrase, and I have it for us on the screen this morning. His argument was based on this simple phrase. If Jesus is not your savior, then Christmas is not your holiday. So he kept saying this, and he said he titled his newspaper article, Ho, 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 the Annie Clause is coming to town. And his whole goal was, hey, listen, if Jesus isn't truly your savior, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Because of all of these things are pointing to one thing, that, the, that there was a baby who came to live a life to die for us. And he said, if you want to celebrate that, then Jesus is your Savior. But if you don't, Christmas is not your holiday. He nicknamed himself the Anti-Clause. Now, I don't know how much impact this newspaper article had uh, because we still have Christmas, right? If it was really impactful, there'd be, a, you know, a, a lot of people who are just boycotting because they're the anti-clauses all running around. You'd see them, you know, running around the streets, dressed in black, whatever, ripping people's hats off and smacking gifts out of your hands, right? This guy is not here. This didn't happen. But I know it's not really that, that way. But this week I've been thinking about that article and I kept thinking about this one simple thing. Is Christmas my holiday? Is Jesus truly my savior? Like not something I do because I just want some time off of work or not something I do because I know I'm going to get a few gifts or I know I'm going to be able to gorge myself with food and no one's going to say anything about it, right? Or I'm going to get to eat Christmas cookies. We have so many Christmas cookies. Please take them. I work here. I have to eat them if you don't take them, okay? And I don't need to. I can't button this. You know what I mean? So take some cookies, right? But like we have have all, what is this season truly about? What is it truly, truly about? It's about Jesus. And I've been wondering, do I really believe in Jesus or am I just looking for something? 
Sometimes I wonder if we're just looking for something to get us through life, for something to give us hope, for something to give us peace, for some sort of break from the chaos that we call this world. Have you ever felt that way? You're just looking for something to believe in. You're not sure it's right. You're not sure it's helpful, but you know you need to believe in something. So what do you do? Maybe you scroll another TikTok, you watch another show, you buy another self-help book, or maybe worse, you pop another pill or you drink another bottle or you live another lie. But you need to hold on to something because the silence of this world can be so deafening that it feels like life is out of control. The chaos of this world, the silence of the unknown is deafening sometimes. And if you're here this morning and you've ever wondered, do I really believe in Jesus? Like I know I come to church on Christmas and Easter and maybe some other times, but do I really believe in Jesus? Like at the core, do I really know that he's the one? And if you have ever thought that, or if you've ever had that question, I want you to know that you are not alone. In fact, you are compared to one of the people in the Bible that Jesus says is the greatest. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, or I'm going to have it on the screen behind me. We're going to look at this, this, this verse here. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read a few verses. It says this, when John, this is John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down this morning, taking notes about what's happening here at church. Here's the title of my message is, is he the one? Is he the one? And for all of our youth students, the title is, is he him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what's happening in our church today. We thank you that you came as a baby to live a life we could never live. And this morning, as we take a few minutes to just look at who you are and what you've done for us, I pray that you would be enlightened in our eyes, that our hearts and ears would open and that we would see you for who you truly are, the Savior King. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. So John the Baptist, this is the one we just read about. He's asking this question, are you really the one? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Later on in this chapter, Jesus said himself that there is no one on earth greater than John the Baptist. And yet he's the one questioning, are you really the one? Are you really the one? He's going to die because he's in prison. John the Baptist is in prison for calling out Herod on his sinful ways. He called him out and Herod put him in prison and he's about to be beheaded. And before he dies, he sends his disciples to find Jesus because he wants to know, is all of this true? Is all of this worth it? Are you really the one? And Jesus says something interesting. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't question him. Rather, he tells his disciples to tell him this. What do you hear and what do you see about me? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the sick are healed, the dead are raised. This is all good news that's being proclaimed. Tell him that. 
For Jesus, it was his actions that proclaimed to John that he was who he said he was, that he was truly the one to come. In fact, performing all of these miracles and preaching the gospel in a way that no one had ever heard before. This was his proof. Now, what I like to know is, what was John's response when the disciples came back? This is kind of one of the things that I think about when I read the Bible. We don't know that because he's beheaded shortly after this, but we don't know his response. What was his response? Was he like, are you sure? Was his response is, I mean, do you have footage of this? Like, do you have proof? Like, I don't, what was his response? Like, I, I can't imagine him in the prison being like, I don't know. Okay, I, I, I guess I'll take your word for it. I really will. And here's the thing. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, also his best friend. The person who probably knew Jesus the most before he spent three years with his disciples was his cousin, John the Baptist. And yet, right before he's about to die, he's saying, are you really the one? Are you sure? Are you sure you're the one? Jesus was the one that John was waiting for. Jesus was the promised Messiah that was spoken up throughout the entire Bible, starting at the very beginning. And I thought it would be an interesting way to speak to you this morning on Christmas Eve because now I've been preaching Christmas Eve messages for eight years. And so for me, it's difficult to preach a message that you already know everything to, right? So I'm going to try a little different perspective. And I want to go through some passages in the Old Testament to show you how intricately and specifically God designed the story and the biblical narrative for us to know that Jesus truly is the one. So if you've ever wondered, did Jesus really come as a baby? Is Christmas really my holiday? Is Jesus really my savior? Can I really believe these things? I want to present for your consideration a few things this morning. Let's start in the beginning at Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve were in the garden with God and everything was good. And then there were many fruit that they could eat just one that they couldn't. But the enemy of our soul, or known as the serpent in this story, tricks them into eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin enters the world. Sin enters the world, and thus death enters the world. And when God is, is, is speaking his punishments to the devil, here's what he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put anemone between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. For what he's saying is this, listen, one day the seed of Eve, who is Jesus, will defeat you once and for all. But in the process, you will wound him. He's wounded. How is Jesus wounded? He's wounded through his death on the cross. But notice, we did not say defeated, we said wounded. Because he did not stay dead. He rose again three days later. Come on somebody, in Jesus' name. So he didn't stay dead, but yet he was wounded. He was wounded. He did not stay defeated. From the very beginning of the Bible, before Abraham and before Isaac and Jacob and Moses, all the big characters that we know, David, God had a plan and he had already spoken about Jesus right here at the very beginning. He said, the offspring of Eve will defeat you. Now it's important to understand why did Jesus come as a baby? It's really important for us to understand not only the question the, that he came to connect with us, but really understand it biblically. In fact, throughout the narrative of scripture, Jesus is in the Bible more than we've maybe, maybe you know. So like, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
they say these guys are in the fire and they're not burned up. There's a fourth man in the fire. That was Jesus. Think about in the Old Testament, the man who wrestles with Jacob, that was Jesus. Jesus could have just jumped into our earth as a 30-year-old man and started preaching. It was very easy. He jumped into the earth many other times. Melchizedek in the Old Testament. Jesus is in the Old Testament all of the time. He, he just says, hey, God, I'll be right back and just portals in. And then he comes back up, right? Like he could have done that. Why didn't he though? Why did he come as a baby? Hebrews chapter two tells us why. Verse 14, through 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. His reason to come as a baby is because he had to come in flesh and blood because you are flesh and blood, because I am flesh and blood. He wanted to completely understand you in every single way. In order to set you free, he had to come as a baby so that he could break the power of death over us. Jesus came as a baby because he had to, to set us free. Another example is in the life of David. I want to move forward a little bit in our scriptures and our Bibles. And God spoke a lot to David. And David is a very interesting character. If you look throughout the narrative of scripture, he's the one who slayed Goliath. He's the one who did all of the incredible things and did some crazy things as well. And he wrote most of the Psalms, right? David is a very interesting character. Later on in his life, David is pretty wise. And he says, you know what, God, I want to build you a temple. You've been so good to me. I want to build you this incredible temple so that you can have a place to go, right? Essentially, David wanted to build an Airbnb from heaven for God, okay? He said, I want a place for you to come down and rest, where the Ark of the Covenant can come and rest, but I want it to be beautiful. I want it to be better than any other temple because I want people to know that you are the greatest God. He said, I'm going to do this for you, okay? And then God said, no, David, you're not. Let's read it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16. This is God speaking to David now. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Now, I'm going to press pause here. I actually heard a sermon preach one time about this where they said Solomon is the one who created the temple, not David, which is true. Solomon is the one who builds the beautiful temple. But you'll see again that this passage of scripture is not about Solomon building a temple who is David's direct heir. This is about Jesus, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Jesus is in the line of David. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This entire passage is about Jesus. He will build the house and establish his king forever. He is in, Jesus is in the line of David. He said, I will call him my son and he will call me father. What does Jesus call God throughout the New Testament? He calls him Abba, Father. This, this passage of scripture is about Jesus. 
And look at the passage. I want to go back and show it again if you can, the first, first section there. It says this, when he does wrong, what will happen? I will punish him. Quick Bible question for you. Did Jesus commit any sin? No, he did not. Jesus did not commit any sin. He was perfect in every way. But what does the Bible say? That he became sin for us. Meaning that section right there is when you do wrong, I will punish Jesus. And how will I punish him? He spoke of the prophecies of how he was going to punish Jesus with rods and floggings thousands, centuries before it happened. And yet Jesus still came. He would not commit a sin, but he then became sin for us so that he could break the power of sin and death over us. He's telling David that his house and his kingdom will endure and last forever. Jesus is the descendant of David that did not fail, that did not falter and did not break, but he came back for us. So what's the temple that we're talking about? If it's not a physical temple, that God would not allow David to build and Solomon would eventually build, but then it would get torn down. What temple is he talking about? You. Turn to Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are too being built together to become a dwelling place in which God's spirit lives. Paul says this, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple that is being held and being masqueraded around this earth as God's Airbnb from heaven. As the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, God built a different temple through Jesus, a temple through the Holy Spirit that you can carry with you every single day. But he had to do that, not through brick, not through stone, but through the power of Jesus coming and living a life and dying on a cross for us. One last one I want to share with you this morning is from Isaiah. This is another prophet in the Old Testament speaking of Jesus. I have one that's not going to be on the screen. Sorry, I messed up. All right, uh, I didn't send it to our tech team. So can we give it up for our, all of our volunteers this weekend? They did awesome. All of our team members, they rock it out. They do incredible. It's Isaiah chapter seven, and you, and you might know it, starting in verse 14. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. God with us. Jesus was born to come and be with you, be with his people. He's God with skin on. He's here and he's walking around. Later in Isaiah, that verse, you can throw it up now, starting in verse nine, this is the prophecy about who he is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of 
peace. Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies and hundreds more. We're just talking about three specific prophecies in the Old Testament, talking about Jesus, why he had to come as a baby, why he had to live the life that he had to live for us. Just three, there's hundreds of them out there. But on this Christmas Eve, I just wanted to take you through a little bit to show you how specific God is when he designs his scriptures and he worked throughout history and how throughout everything he had you in mind. He had you in mind as he was creating and as he was developing and as he was building his kingdom. And my question to you this morning is very simple. Is Christmas your holiday? And I guess the only way that you can answer that based on what we heard from the anti-clause is, is Jesus your savior? Is Jesus your savior? And not just someone that we like to talk about, someone that we can kind of think about. This week at Hudson's school, he had a, a Christmas program. And at the end of the Christmas program, they all got around a cake and they sang happy birthday to Jesus, right? And it was awesome. And none of the kids sang, only the adults did because they were staring at the cake, right? They were just looking at it. And then they pulled out the sheet cake from the behind. You know what I mean? Either way, it's a pet peeve of mine. Give us the good stuff. But they're singing happy birthday to Jesus but sometimes it feels like we can get caught in these little things, the gifts, and we can get caught in that. Or maybe we're just numb to the reality of who Jesus truly is. Have you ever thought the deep questions? I had someone say to me once, they envy me because I don't think too deep. And I thought, I'm not sure that's a compliment. <laughs> I was like, I think that's a dig. I think what they were trying to say is you take it at face value and just believe it. But my question to you this morning is, can you believe it? Do you know and can you believe that Jesus is your savior? Is he the one? He's present in this room this morning. And I wanted to allow us an opportunity right now to be able to respond to him. So I'm gonna ask with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you want to respond to Jesus this morning, and maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Jesus isn't my savior. I'm not trusting in him. I'm not believing in him. I'm just kind of existing. I want to believe. I want to know. I want to trust. Help me with my own belief. If that's you and you're here and you say, you know what, I want to take a next step to believing in Jesus today. I want to acknowledge that I need help in my relationship with God. On the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to shoot your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for. And we're gonna pray. There's gonna be a short video and we're gonna end with another song. But if that's you this morning, I just wanna give this space and this opportunity for you to respond. Because this is the time to make Jesus your savior. So if that's you, one, two, three, shoot them up if you want to take a next step. Yeah. Yes. You feel like you need to get deeper and grow more with Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can put those hands down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you came down as a baby. You came down so that we could know you. You came down to break the power of sin and death. You came down so that we could be set free. And this morning I pray that Christmas would not just be something that we do, but it would be a true celebration of who you are, the newborn and the king that is here and the king that is to come. I pray that the realization of who you are will be so profound in our minds as we walk through this day and the rest of our lives, we would think about you and who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.